Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn's session number 236. You good? Good? Okay, let's go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host. His dad jokes are getting better with every minute. (laughs) Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Pat Flynn here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so stoked to welcome a a good friend of mine, and I'm just very thankful that he is my friend because for the longest time, he was just one of those uh, sort of mentors, somebody who I had looked up to for a while who I never thought I'd be able to have access to, and to have him come on the show today is just a special treat for me and for you guys too because he's, he's amazing. His name is Jonathan Fields, and I was first introduced to him way back when I was starting out in online business. He was one of those those people that were on the same level to me as you know, Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk, and I just had seen Jonathan Fields there, and he had sort of always taken a different approach from those other two guys. He was the guy that, would, that was always about, you know, mindfulness and really understanding what the purpose is in your life, and, you know, like me, he is a family man as well, and that's what I really respected uh, about him, and to now have become friends with him and to have him on the show, it's just uh, such a great treat, and I'm just so happy that he's here, and today we're gonna be talking about his new book, which is called How to Live a Good Life, And I know that sounds like, oh, well, who are you to tell me what a good life is? And he breaks it down in a very, very interesting but easy to understand way. And we also talk about his Good Life Project, which is his podcast and his his video podcast and his series where he interviews these amazing people and gets to understand, well, how are they able to live the life that they want to live? And so we are gonna get into all that stuff right now. So without further ado, here's Jonathan Fields from Good Life Project. What's up, everybody? I'm so happy to welcome somebody who I've been looking up to for years now, and I'm just so thankful he's on the show with us today. This is Jonathan Fields. Jonathan, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, It's my pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me. So I know you, I mean, I've known you for for quite a while. I was actually very inspired by a TED Talk you did a long time ago about fear and how we can Uh, all use fear 
as a, as fuel for the projects that we're doing. And, and you told this amazing story. You, you're such a great storyteller, and you're you're wonderful on stage. And since then, you've created something called the Good Life Project, which is where a lot of people know you from now. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, GLP is and what it stands for? Yeah, I mean, Good Life Project really started as an outgrowth of just my own personal deep fascination with human potential, with what it actually takes to live well in the world. And um, the actual, you know, and I've been on that journey for decades, for the better part of my life. I, I turned 50 last year. Um, Congrats. Which, thanks. And uh, so I've just been really trying to figure out, like, what's the, what are the big levers? What makes the biggest difference in our time on the planet? And what's all the stuff that really doesn't matter? And, um, and how can I learn from the people that are actually embodying this and then turn around and sort of simplify, streamline, and share whatever it is that I'm learning? So that, the, the Good Life Project, the actual venture, started um, in 2012 when actually it almost started as a fluke. I was, uh, I was writing my year-end recap post as a blogger. And that turned into this 40 page, you know, like uh, designed annual report. And at the end of that, I tease these things called my 10 commandments of business, which is just kind of an alternative way that I look at building business at, at doing entrepreneurship and contributing to the world. And then tease this thing called the good life project, which I said was coming and honestly wasn't entirely sure what it was going to be back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I wanted to create something around it. And, and those things, both the 10 commandments and the idea of the good life project kind of took off online. And we actually started by building the educational side of the venture and then built around that media with videos and then eventually a podcast and then, um, courses and events, and now a really a beautiful, like a flourishing global community of people who are really just kind of leaning deep into the exploration of what it means to really live well in the world. What I love about the Good Life Project is it's not just there for for good and for the good of others. It's it's so well done. The quality is amazing. Out of all the sort of videos that I've seen where people are interviewing others, these the yours are top notch, I would say, and something to look up to. So what who who are some of the interviews that you remember? What are some of the most memorable memorable ones for you? Yeah, I mean there are a handful that have really stuck with me for different reasons. So for example, a couple of years ago I had the opportunity to sit down with um somebody named Milton Glazer. And what's interesting about him is that Pretty much everybody knows his work, but unless you're in the design field, you probably don't realize the name. So Milton is actually the most iconic living designer. He's, I believe, 86 at the time that we're recording this, still massively prolific, runs a design studio in New York City, has you know museum shows, teaches. And but what people may know him for or may know his work probably is uh he he he's the uh creator of the most ripped off logo in the history of logos, which is iHeartNY. Um, <laughs> along with literally hundreds of other things. But, but um, so he's somebody who's, and he's taught, you know, for 50 years. Um, the thing that actually really resonated with me is, you know, he's got this stunning body of work. But the bigger thing that resonated with me when I left him was the way that he lived his life and the way that, not lived, lives his life and the way that he's built his career, which is that he could have built a massive design agency. He could have gone really big. He could have built, you know, like structure and process and employees and all of this stuff. And instead, he very consciously chose a different path. He chose to stay small and to be very selective and to let the work create his ripple in the world and to to move beyond that by teaching, teaching generations and generations of other people to see the world differently and to design and to make a difference. And so he's had this absolutely incredible impact and at the same time, kept his life really 
um, almost exquisitely intimate in the way that he lives his life, the way that he contributes. You know, he still has a studio with just a handful of people that he worked with in the studio. Um, and he's very, very selective about the work that he does. Oh man, to be a fly on the wall at his office to see how he selects would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was such an incredible conversation. So you know, so so for him, he was one of the people where I walked out of that, and this is when we were filming, so we actually filmed the whole thing mm-hmm. at his studio. You know, and I walked out of there, and and my crew didn't want it to end. They were like, "Ah, oh, I wish we could have stayed here all day." And it was also one of the moments where I kind of I was struck, and and I was trying to figure out why I was so struck by it, and what I realized was that. Um, I looked at the way that he was building his life and his career and I was like, you know what? I would step into that. Um, the choices that he's making, the, the elevation of craft and devotion to family and to life, um, was something where it just felt like so aligned with the way that I approach life. Yeah. I love that. And like you said earlier in his world, he's, he's well known yet he hadn't made the choice to go huge, like all of us assume we have to go in order to make that ripple effect. And so he's been able to do it with his craft. Like you said, I, I definitely have to check that out. Now, I want to get to your book really quick. Uh, congratulations on your on your new book. I uh, was very fortunate to get a, an advanced copy of it. It's called How to Live a Good Life, Soulful Stories, Surprising Science, and Practical Wisdom. Uh, this isn't your first book. You've written many books in the past. But before we get into the content of the book, I just want to know who is Jonathan Fields, the the author and the entrepreneur. I think people who are listening to this want to get to know you a little bit more first. Yeah, yeah, no, my pleasure. Um, and, you know, I, I'm fundamentally, I think I'm a creator. Um, I'm somebody who's constantly searching for trying to understand human nature, the human condition, and what makes it better. And that's led me for the better part of my life on the contribution side of things to becoming an entrepreneur, to becoming an artist, um, and to and and a maker. And um, so I was a lemonade stand kid. I've you know I've I've been fortunate to found, build, and sell a handful of companies, both brick and mortar, and largely in in the online space these days. And then. Back in 2008, actually, when I was uh, still running a yoga center in New York City, um, and you can tell it's New York City because you can probably hear the sirens <laughs> yeah. in the background right now. This is 100% authentic right here. Um, is that uh, I really started to develop a, a deep, a deep fascination with the craft of language and writing, and actually sold my first book while I was still uh, running a yoga studio and teaching yoga and, and sort of going deep into exploring the human condition from that side. And at the same time, really was just jonesing on understanding how to write better. And, um, and, and since then, I've really I've, I've shifted a lot of my focus into the world of media and writing and creating sort of trainings and events, um, all in the name of really trying to just dial in, you know, like focus on this big question. What, is, what does it actually mean to live well in the world? And if I, I'm far enough into life now that, that uh, if I, you know, Steve Jobs' famous quote, you know, like you look back and connect the dots looking backwards, that... I have enough dots now to be able to start to look back and see that a common thread in almost everything that I've done is this deep interest in human potential, in the human condition. How do we actually, how do we live a life that, that's deeply meaningful, that's, you know, like that's where we're vital and alive and we feel profoundly connected to, to those around us and to something bigger than us. And that's really been the thing that guides me. And also, I mean, if you look at any bio that I share, um, I pretty much always start by saying, not by what books I've written or, or businesses I've built, but by, um, by saying I'm a dad and a husband. And that's really, that's the heartbeat of my life. You know, I know it's similar for you. It's mm-hmm. like every, everything revolves around my ability to just be a present and engaged, um, 
you know, like person in my family. Um, cause that's, that's my deepest love. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think that's why you and I, you know, the few times we've actually met, we connect really well because we have that same understanding with why we do what we do. What is it about this stuff that, I mean, you could, you could research all this stuff, you can live it and you can experience it and, and practice it yourself, which you are doing, but why, and what is, what, what is making you want to teach this to everybody else? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, I think it's funny cause it's been a consistent pattern for me is that I go into really complicated topics. I mm-hmm. do deep research sometimes for years and then I try and I try and simplify things and then turn around. And the moment I think that I've got something that'll make it easier for other people to explore, I turn around and I teach it. Um, it's been that way as an entrepreneur in the very early days, um, as a, you know, eventually a yoga teacher, um, and as a, a writer and a teacher, there's something about me, um, there's a teacher in me. I, mm-hmm. yeah, I think one of the things that lights me up is the ability to turn around and, and pattern recognize, take all this complex stuff, distill it into something that's almost deceptively simple yet really powerful, and then sort of share it in a way that allows people to step into it um, a lot faster and, and more effectively than you know, a lot of times the bumps and bruises it took me to get there. Mm-hmm. I, I love to be in a room when I see the lights go on, when I see somebody sparked, when I see, like, I, when I see a flicker of possibility in somebody's eyes. To, to be in a place in my life where I have the opportunity to create that is just it's kind of magical to me. I'm, I'm curious, do you, do you, cause you, you're really a teacher as well. I mean, do you feel that as well? Yeah. I mean, every time, I mean, on the micro level, every, every time I find a new tool or some amazing technique that works, I, I immediately share it, <laughs> you know, just cause yeah. I, I want others to experience that same thing. Um, and, and I also want to be the one that shows it to them and, you know, so I can be, continue to be there for them and support them throughout, you know, their online business journey, or if it's not even related to online business to whatever it is they're doing, I want to be a resource for people. I want, I think that's, uh, goes along with legacy, I think. And that's something that's really important to me. Do you, you know, think that far ahead in terms of why you do what you do in terms of legacy and, you know, having your information live for years beyond? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I've actually been thinking about the word legacy a lot lately. Um, I'm not sure why. It probably actually has to do with the fact that, I, that I'm in my 50th year. Um, so, uh, you, you know, it's funny, like not 30 and 40 didn't really, I didn't care at all. But something happened in, in this year where I got really reflective. And I, was, I really started asking my question, like, what am I doing here? What's, what's my work on the planet? And, um, and, and, you know, is it meaningful to me and hopefully to other people? And, uh, so yeah, I do think about it, but there's been an interesting shift in my, the way that I think about the word legacy as well. And, and that is that, um, I think more now, I think less about the body of work that I'm leaving behind. And I think more about legacy as the way that I'm living my life on any given day, you know, and I kind of have come to the place where I really feel like if I wake up in the morning and I can allow myself to the bandwidth and the grace and the space to do good work that day. And then I rest my head on my pillow at night and I can close my eyes and say, you know what, this has been a good day. I've done good work. I've done stuff that matters. That's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, that leverages like, you know, everything that I have. And if I just keep doing that every day, then, then I think you know, legacy by any definition is just going to kind of take care of itself. Do you think to yourself at night every day whether or not it's a kind of a win or a loss? You know, I, I think I probably do. I don't know if I actually asked the question that way, but I think I do rest my head, you know, on my pillow at night and just kind of reflect briefly. Um, it's sort of like, I, you know, I have a bit of a morning practice and an evening practice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I want to know that, that the way I'm spending my time um, is 
is worth it. That it's you know it's meaningful. It's contributing in in some way, and that um, that it's well used. That that you know there's this you know I think we all tend to feel like there is there's what we believe to be our potential, and then there's what we believe to be living every day. And I haven't yet met the person that doesn't feel that there's some amount of gap between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what I try and do is sort of like consistently ask myself, you know. Am I doing things that allow me to close that gap? Am I am I taking actions that allow me to step more fully into what I believe to be is my potential, and also explore it and help identify what that space is? And um, and yeah, I think so. I probably do a bit of like a a mini debrief at the end of at the end of every day or so, and uh, and if not every day, then then minimally every few days. Yeah, that, that's something I do every day. I use a journal called the five minute journal, which actually you write in every single morning and every single night. And at night, you kind of do a little bit of a debrief on what you wish you had done better, but also what went awesome that day. And just being able to keep track of that has made me more motivated each day when I wake up to make sure I have something great to talk about at the end. Yeah, no, I totally love that. I think it's also, it starts to put you in the frame of living life as a practice, mm-hmm. which I'm a huge believer in. It's, we, 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 um, it's interesting, like along with the, the book that's being traditionally published, we've actually spent a whole bunch of time creating our own um, companion practice journal. And, and the idea is exactly that. It's that, you know, there's, there's a, an initial, it's almost like there's an inciting incident which sort of like shakes you from your status quo and then an experience which allows you to learn something new, a, a, you know, to essentially put on a new lens, uh, get a new model of the way, you know, to move through the world. And then, but then most people become really inspired for the first, you know, month or so, and then it falls away. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of build ap- approaching life, approaching almost everything as a series of daily practices that are somewhat yeah. gentle, almost like innocuous in how sometimes easy they feel. But then you keep doing them every day, and over time, they have this compounding effect where you look back after six months or a year, you're like, wow, you know. Things are really different in in a large, measurable way. Yeah, I love that. Now let's get into book into the book. You know, in one of the first few pages here, I see an illustration that has three different buckets on it, and you talk about these buckets throughout the book. It's even on the cover as well. What are what are the importance of these buckets? How do these things help us visualize what's going on in our lives, and how can they help us? Yeah, so I kind of referenced this earlier. Is that one of my? Um, if you ask my team what my killer app is, they'll probably tell you language and pattern recognition. And um, so I love taking big, messy data sets and distilling them into really simple models that people can actually use to guide their behavior. And that's essentially what these good life buckets are. So, you know, there's the truth is there's probably very little that's genuinely new in the world of human potential, personal development in I probably say a few thousand years, if mm-hmm. being honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the big challenge is that information very often isn't shared, isn't offered in a way that's simple, digestible, and actionable by almost anyone without forcing massive disruption or deep studies. So the goal was to create a really simple model that you hear once, you remember forever, and you can wake up every morning and it's actionable. And for me, I call these a good life bucket. So Think of your life as three different buckets, and those buckets are contribution, connection, and vitality. Your contribution bucket is fundamentally how you're bringing yourself to the world, how you're bringing your gifts, your strengths, your beliefs, your values to the world. Are you contributing in a way that's leveraging the the fullness of who you are and is deeply meaningful and making a difference? Your uh, connection bucket is about your relationships. It's about your relationship, your knowledge of self, but also your relationship between 
any intimate partner, family members, close friends, colleagues, um, your community. If you have a, you know, a, a, a close like-minded community, we all need a, a really deep sense of belonging. And if it's something that matters to you, something bigger, whether you define it as source or God or whatever it may be. And so it's about those relationships. And then the vitality bucket is about optimizing your state of mind and body. And I speak about them um, not uniquely, but as one thing, because it's crystal clear now from all the research that they are, in fact, a seamless feedback mechanism. There is no separate mind and body. Mm-hmm. So it's really about, you know, are you doing things um, on a daily basis to optimize your mind, your, your state of mind and your state of body? And, and the idea is really simple. It's that the, a good life is, um, is about filling these buckets and about keeping them as full as possible on a regular basis. So every day what we're looking to do is say, hey, super quick snapshot, you know, how full does my vitality bucket feel today? How am I satisfied with the level of my connection bucket? Am I satisfied with my contribution bucket, with the way that I'm contributing to the world? And then if you're not, you know, focus on the bucket that, that feels like it really needs some love and do something to fill it. So you're constantly filling these buckets. And the thing about the model is it's really simple. You hear it once you remember it. And then mm-hmm. maybe the most important thing to me is it guides behavior. You know, you can actually, it will tell you what to do. So if you feel like, you know, your connection bucket is low, well, there are a whole bunch of tiny things that you can do. You can commit to doing a single thing that day to add, to fill that bucket a bit more and and what happens over time is that you just kind of keep filling them pretty close to full and keep topping them off. And without even thinking about it, without any big disruptive moves or making big changes, your life just starts to get a whole lot better. I love that. It's really interesting that you, you choose bucket as sort of the analogy there because I think we've all heard of the bucket list, right? Yeah. And we all, we all think of, okay, well, these are the things we have to do on our bucket list before we die in order to consider ourselves like somewhat – you know, happy that we've achieved those things that we've always wanted to achieve. But you're kind of breaking it down to something not just to shoot for at one day in the future, but you know, kind of how how to guide your your daily life. And you know, these buckets they're really interesting. Are, are they all? I mean, we're kind of speaking on a analogy right now. But are they are they all the same size? Can people like how 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 um, yeah, can we I, fill them? Can can people remove things from them? Yeah, I, I think they're all pretty much the same size, um, although it's rare that they're all full and it's rare that they're all equally full. And they're, they're, they're what I call the laws of the buckets also. And um, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the idea of a bucket list essentially because, you know, that phrase originally comes from kick the bucket. You know, so right. when, when that time comes where you kick the bucket, where you're, you cease to live, these are the things you want to have done, which is essentially when the bucket tips over and it's empty. And it's pretty much true of these three buckets too. You know, if at any given point, any one of your buckets runs dry, you're going to feel a world of hurt. If two run dry, you're going to be in excruciating pain. If three run dry, you will literally and figuratively be dead. You can't exist, you know, at the time that all three of these buckets go empty and and get kicked. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I don't look at them as being different sizes, but I do look at them as a dynamic process of like having to regularly fill them. It's almost like I look at them as three buckets and you have like a, a watering can and your job is to just kind of keep circling around them, um, filling them a little bit each day. And the thing is they all leak. So there, there never comes a time when you can fill off and like you completely top off your vitality bucket. You're, you've got these beautiful practices. You're moving your body. You're meditating. You're eating. You're sleeping. You're doing all these things to completely optimize your state of mind and being. And you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm done. I can stop. 
that that time never happens, you know, because that bucket leaks just like the other ones do, which means that there's an imitation every day is a practice. You need to keep doing a little something to keep them full, even when they're most full. Um, and very often, especially as entrepreneurs, we tend to abandon some of these and uh, and not respond to them until, until they're causing a lot of hurt for us. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me of actually another another bucket thing that was reminded um, that 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 my son is doing. He's in he's in first grade, and they actually he just started first grade. And then on their first day of class, they read this book called "Have You Filled the Bucket Today?" And uh, he was telling me about this exercise where. You imagine that everybody has a bucket, and your job is to try and fill it, or by by giving people compliments, by doing things for other people. That's how you fill other people's buckets. And, I love that. And you you can take things away and have them not have anything anymore by being mean to them, disrespectful, not doing things for them, that that sort of thing. So it's it's really interesting that even at the the a kids level, they're understanding these buckets. So if, if you know he can, in this sense, we absolutely we absolutely can with these three buckets that you're talking about. And you know, I, I we only have a little bit more time, so I just want to cover some of the more bigger ideas and things that are maybe more actionable that people can take away from this conversation. Obviously, I want everybody to go and check out the book. Uh, actually, where's the link where people can go and, and check it out before we move Yeah, on? if you just go to uh, goodlifeproject.com slash book, um, that's where you can get all the information. Okay. Sweet. Thank you. Um, th- there was one section in here that caught my eye because it's something I've been trying to learn how to do more. Uh, I've been pretty good over the last couple of years, but I can still work on it, and I know a lot of other people can too, and that's the idea of saying no. Um, I, can you talk about why that's so important? Yeah, and this is something that so many people have so much trouble with, um, you know, because we're kind of trained to to be gracious and, you know, to always say yes, because that's the courteous thing to do. You know, the problem is the pace of life these days and the ease of access that people have to us and the expectation that you will always be available has made it so that requests for our time, for our love, for our energy, for our bandwidth, for our, our wisdom um, are have reached a near merciless level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's led to to a lot of us living these fiercely reactive lives where instead of actually waking up in the morning, like intentionally choosing what genuinely matters to us and then giving, you know, giving everything that we have to those things to make a real difference, we end up actually populating every moment of our day with the like the minutiae and the task list and the to-dos and the agendas of a thousand other people who essentially push their priorities and their agendas onto our lives. And it leaves us feeling feeling maniacally busy, overwhelmed and gutted. And and also that we're just so far from our potential. And and the underlying reason is, you know, that we're not aware, but also because we've never actually learned to say no. You know, we've we've gotten to a place where we're just like Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And then we have no time to actually do the stuff that genuinely matters to us. So I'm a huge believer in actually practicing the art of saying no. Literally, before you say yes to anything, before you let anybody else know that you're available to them, you know, like ask a question and say, does this genuinely matter? Does it make a difference in something that's deeply important to me? Um, and if the answer is no, then the answer to the person who's requesting should be no as well. And that's what gives us the ability, the space to do what really matters. I think a lot of us are worried about letting other people down though. How how do we get over that? Um, Practice. It's almost like exposure therapy. You know, it's sort of like the more you do it, the more you start to realize that people, you know, it's really fascinating to me because I'm sure like you, I get requests all day, every day for Mm -hmm. all sorts of things. And, um, and, 
I've actually, you know, got, I literally have um, a whole bunch of different ways that I say no, and I've really, I've really tried to think about how I would say you know in the most courteous way, where it's respectful right. and not offensive. I've had a number of people reply to me and say, you know, like, you know, I was really bummed that you said no, but um, I actually completely understand it, and and I actually respect you uh, for saying no. And explaining that, you know, like that, I'm actually saying no so that I can make room to really focus on the things that are deeply meaningful to me. And, and you're setting a great example for me. So thank you for that. And I'm going to start to do the same thing. So it's kind of an interesting, it's almost like this way to teach without teaching. Right. So you're not, you're not necessarily just saying no. You're also explaining yourself and being honest at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And then how do you prioritize? I think obviously we have to say yes to some things, but how do we know what to say yes to versus what to say no to? Do you have any special ways that you prioritize? Obviously there's a lot of books out there on how to do that, um, essentialism and yeah. the one thing. Do you like What's your technique? Yeah, and I'm actually a huge fan of essentialism um, and the one thing. I love both of those books. I think they're really powerful. So rather than duplicating what they say, let me go one layer um, off to the side. Uh, I think there's actually there's a foundation question that we, we're not dealing with when we're talking about prioritization and productivity, and that's awareness. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how can you choose the one thing that matters? How can you actually understand what to say yes or no to until you actually do a little bit of work to understand yourself? We, we live in a vacuum of self-knowledge. You know, there's a, there's a level of self-ignorance that so many of us tend to walk around with where we don't actually understand what's important to us. We don't understand what matters. We don't understand what our strengths and our gifts are or, or our values or beliefs are. And that makes it nearly impossible for us to understand what to say yes or no to because without really knowing ourselves, um, we don't have a basis to prioritize. So I think it's really important to, you know, to adopt a system like essentialism or the one thing or whatever other system just kind of works with the way that you look at the world and the way that your brain functions. But on a deeper level, I think the bigger challenge and the, the much more effective unlock key is going to actually be to spend a bit of time um, in self-discovery, you know, and just really starting out by trying to ask yourself the big question. You're like, what's important to me? I mean, if you literally sit down and ask yourself the question, what's important to me, and then just start to free write and see what comes up, um, that's the stuff that allows you to prioritize. And I think if you don't do that, and then you try and apply some sort of, sort of a, um, surface level methodology, mm -hmm. you'll get efficient and productive but it won't necessarily lead to fulfillment and meaning. I think a lot of people, you know, they often assume they know why they're doing what they're doing or what the, what their priorities are, and they they almost kid themselves sometimes. How can we help ourselves if we don't want to? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a loaded question, but it, it is a really loaded question. You know, to a certain extent, it's almost like, well, you know, you can't help someone in, in, until they're ready to be helped. But um, I also think that. Uh, um, community, having people in your yeah. life that are genuine mirrors that who you know are there for the right reasons. They're there. Um, they'll be honest with you. They'll support you. And they'll also provide accountability to you. Um, in, not because they want, they want to cut you down, but because they want to see you rise. You know, they'll be honest because they want to see you flourish. And so I think having that one person or small community of people is, can be really mission critical in helping us course correct. Um, I know I have those people in my life. I know you have those. You probably oh, yeah. have a, a couple of people, you know, and groups in, in your life as well. And I think those have been so instrumental to me in understanding how to, especially how to fill my contribution buck. But interestingly, you know, I'll have a 
small business mastermind or a group of friends, and ostensibly it's about you know how we're contributing to the world. But it always gets personal because yeah. underneath that, if something's not working right, it's always personal. And so we go there. And to finish off, Jonathan, I mean, you had mentioned earlier about how just fast life is going right now and instantaneous things are happening. You wrote a chapter or talked a little bit about living in the slow lane, which is kind of the opposite take of what most people say. You know, we always go, yeah. let's live in the fast lane because that's, that's the quickest route to wherever we want to go. But, you know, in the slow lane is typically, you know, where people don't want to be. Why do you yeah. mention why why do you mention we should travel in the slow lane sometimes? Yeah, I mean I think what happens is we are so run by by pace and by speed and by trying to get to the outcome that it also it, it does two things. One is it it completely obliterates the experience of joy along the way. You know, it kind of just mm-hmm. crushes us. Um so that and, and then inevitably what happens is even if we get to the outcome, we realize that it's not the outcome that we thought it would be. It's not making us feel the way we thought it would feel. And so we've now gutted ourselves to get there and now we're there and it's not giving us what we needed. Then at the same time, what I've experienced is when you move super, super fast, the your rate of error increases dramatically. And so much of the reason that we end up being so busy is not because we have to be that busy. It's because we're moving so quickly that the error rate is making us have to redo, have to go back and fix and correct. Mm. So you would end up, and actually, you know, I've run some experiments, and um, and I found that actually I'm as productive, if not more productive, dialing it back, dialing everything I do back, and moving more slowly than I am when I'm moving hyper fast, because it removes so much of the error from the process that I actually end up in the same place, if not a lot better, working much more gently and having just so much more joy along the way. Yeah, I think that joy part along the way, I mean, you often move so fast, you you miss the how amazing the climb is sometimes because yeah. you're just trying to get to the top so fast. Yeah, I mean, especially for entrepreneurs. I think that's a, right. huge, a huge phenomenon. We just want to get there, never realizing that, you know, the only there there, honestly, is here now. <laughs> and how, how do you slow down? Um, for me, I'm, I'm sort of constantly checking in. Um, and I think for me, there's a really big overriding thing, which is that I have a daily mindfulness practice that yeah. starts every single day. And I know you meditate, it, right? Yeah, I do. I wake up every morning. It's the first thing that I do. Um, actually it's not the first thing that I do. The first thing I do is grind my coffee beans and turn on the coffee maker and then, and then I meditate while the coffee's brewing. Um, and that it really, not only does it set the tone for the entire day, but it also it, it over time it cultivates the ability to just be able to kind of zoom the lens out and notice when you're really just doing stupid stuff when you're just frittering away all of your time on stuff that doesn't matter. Um, I know you have a practice also. You, do you still use the uh, the Muse? I know you're using. I that do. For a while. I do. I I need it and I love it because of the immediate feedback and yeah. the uh, the tracking. Just it just I, that's what motivates me personally. Yeah, and do you find it, it makes a real difference for you as oh, well? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. I in, in so many areas of my life, like you said, it helps uh, help me focus on certain things. But also, when I get distracted or when I get out of focus or I realize I'm doing something I'm not supposed to, I realize that sooner and I can more quickly get back on the right track. That's the yeah. biggest difference I found with uh, my meditation practice. Yeah, totally agree. I, I've seen that. It almost caught me by surprise when I started noticing that that was happening. But I was like, wow, that is it's a really powerful benefit. Yeah. Love it. Jonathan, I feel like we could talk for hours, but uh, I guess everybody will just have to, to pick up your book and, and check it out. Where can they uh, find you and your book? 
Yeah, so goodlifeproject.com slash book is where the book is at. And of course, it's also just available at the resellers everywhere. Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. We appreciate you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you here on the show. Like I said, I've looked up to you for so long and it's just really cool that you're here with us and sharing some of your wisdom today. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me, Pat. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jonathan Fields. If you wanna get his book and check it out, go to goodlifeproject.com slash book. And of course, you can get all the links and the uh, resources mentioned in this episode at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 236. And I actually had the pleasure of having dinner with Jonathan not too long ago at Podcast Movement in Chicago. And it was uh, him and Andrew Warner and John Lee Dumas and myself. Uh, and I got to meet Jonathan's wife, uh, she was amazing, and just it was such a cool atmosphere to be in that in that restaurant with with somebody who I'd been looking up to for so long, and just honestly, hands down, just one of the most genuine, heartfelt guys I know. And so, Jonathan, thank you again for being on the show. Good luck with the book and the launch and everything. And I'll be sure to do what I can to keep my buckets as full as possible, and to keep everybody else's buckets as full as possible who's listening to the show. Um, and you know, I think that's a great analogy. It's something that I would want to pass on to my kids. Uh, for sure. So so thank you for that, Jonathan. Also, I want to take a quick moment just to thank you. I don't know if you realize this, but you've had, you, the listeners, have made a massive impact on the direction of where Smart Passive Income has gone. Uh, as a result of you, I've been interviewing certain guests that you've recommended. As a result of uh, your recommendations, I've been tackling different topics that are, that are of high interest to you. Uh, in addition to that, I created a brand new podcast called Ask Pat, which you may have heard of before. And on that show, I answer voicemail questions from you as well. You can actually check that out at askpat.com. But that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. Obviously, Ask Pat, there needs to be questions in addition to my answers in order to make that show success. And, and I'm so thankful that uh, it's there. And, and I have you to thank for that. I also have you to thank for pushing me to create some online courses to help you through a number of the, of the different problems and pains that you might be having with your online business, uh, the, the scaling of it, just even the start and the process of it. Um, even though there's a lot of great free information here via the podcast, I know, and I know this from my own experience as well, courses can be life-changing because you you purchase a course and you are just in that mindset of actually doing that thing that that course tells you to, to do. And I have a number of different courses available to you if that's the kind of thing you need in order to actually finally start getting results and taking action. So I know a number of you have already taken action, which is fine, like I'm not trying to push these courses on you, but they are there and available for those of you who would much prefer to get that targeted information and the accountability and the hand-holding through those processes. So if you wanna check out and see all the courses that are available to you, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. That's a page that's gonna continually grow over time as well, so keep checking back, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. I look forward to uh, to hopefully seeing you there. All right, thanks so much. I appreciate you, and I look forward to serving you in next week's episode. Until then, keep pushing it forward, keep filling those buckets, and I'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI, and today I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. 
These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 